This podcast is sponsored by Xgrowth. Xgrowth is the APAC ABM agency. If you and your organization are looking to land and expand enterprise mid-market deals, Xgrowth is the agency to help. Xgrowth works with a wide range of international and global technology vendors, service providers, and B2B SaaS companies. If this sounds like some of your interests to know more about, make sure to check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. What's up, marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from Xgrowth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about how you can achieve those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shane Hollow with Xgrowth, and today I'm talking to Taryn Williams, co-founder at Hash Gifted, second time on the podcast, very excited, and also Joe Rosendi, senior software engineer at Hash Gifted, about how to take your B2B influencer marketing to the next level. On that note, let's dive in. Joe and Taryn, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having us. And thanks for having me back after last time. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Joe, thank you as well. Super excited to be here. Yeah, no, it's great to have you here. And uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen often that we have software engineers on the podcast. Now, I should say for anyone who's listening, Joe is a marketer turned software engineer with a lot of experience in, uh, in influencer marketing. And uh, so I'm, I'm super, super excited to kind of get your feedback on what we're talking about today. But let's let's talk about, let's start with um, kind of the first question of really love to get your thoughts on what do you think in terms of the approach that B2B marketers need to take when it comes to influencers and influencer marketing? You know, it, it, it is an area that is very strong in B2C and we get exposed to it quite heavily in B2C. But what are your thoughts in terms of is there a difference or, or what do you think B2B marketers should approach influencers? How should they approach influencers? Yeah, and I think there's a common misconception, right, that influencer marketing is only suitable for B2C when obviously there's always an influencer that's suitable for a brand. It's about finding the right suitable person for your campaign and who's going to impact that decision maker. And the reason I think it's really, really important for B2B marketers is that there's so many more touch points that you need in your sales journey as a general rule um, than a, a simple B2C product where you're like, buy this lipstick, you know, it's $10.95 versus buy this software package that is a, you know, six-week install process and involves you changing all of your processes. The research and, and purchasing decision of that consumer is going to be so much longer and require so many more touch points. So if you can integrate influencer marketing to all of that funnel, the top of the funnel, middle and bottom, I think that there's so many powerful ways that you can obviously reach new customers, start moving them through the funnel and increase conversions um, through things like testimonials and, you know, advocacy through these sort of really credible B2B influencers. So I think it, it is slightly more complicated to think about um, using influencers from a B2B perspective, but 
I certainly think it's not something that should be thrown out the window or, or just um, pigeonholed into only being done on LinkedIn as well. Okay. Okay. That, that's very interesting. Uh, Jill, what are your thoughts on that front? You know, I think from kind of a broad strokes approach, business to business marketing in general is slightly different than business to consumer marketing. But at the end of the day, people that are in charge of making purchasing decisions at companies watch the same type of content that uh, you know consumers do. But you might need to pick a different niche. So on that about LinkedIn, thinking about thought leaders, industry experts, and professionals that might have a genuine following within your niche. When I think of who I want to market to from a product, I take a look at the list of newsletters that I'm currently reading as a business professional to gain insights into my own community. A lot of time there's going to be overlap with the other companies that you want to reach. So if you're looking for who is that thought leader, look at who you're already following. That is such a good point. That is such a good point. I couldn't agree more. I think there's this idea that, you know, the, let's say your purchasing decision maker is the CTO in an organization, that that person stops being the CTO when they leave and go home for the day and they start consuming content on TikTok or on YouTube. Like that person is still a person. They're still consuming content on all of these different channels. So how can you find ways to speak to them in meaningful ways across all of those different channels. So I'm not just thinking about, you know, what am I interested in from a business perspective because I'm purely reading LinkedIn right now. As Joe said, you know, I'm reading a newsletter that I'm really interested in. It might not be specifically about finding a new software platform, but I see an article in there that's really interested, interesting on, you know, AI trends or something that I want to read anyway, and it happens to feature information about your software product. Like I think thinking about those different touch points and that, that person doesn't stop being that decision maker at the end of the day when they leave their, you know, nine to five or eight till seven role, that they are still that decision maker across all of these different platforms. And I think on that too, Taryn, it's, there's a much more diverse type of collaboration that's available in the B2B influencer marketing side of things than maybe B2C. You know, going into guest blog posts or co-hosting webinars or kind of like joint research interview type things. There's a lot of ways to keep content fresh in this space that uh, might not be considered. Mm. So I definitely want to talk about, you know, the different approaches and, and, and how that how that applies. And, and I feel like we've kind of touched on this a little bit, my next question, which I'd love to hear in terms of what are the differences? So we, we talked about what are the similarities that, hey, the the CIO who is um, in their in their office when they go home, they're, they're they don't change. They're the same person whether it's in the office or or at home, and therefore a lot of the similar um, approaches and the mindset that marketers need to think about can can apply across the both both spectrum, being direct to consumer or B two B. But what are your thoughts in terms of the differences between the two spaces uh, when it comes to influencer marketing? Yeah, with a B2B product, I think it probably does require a more involved sales cycle usually, um, more touch points, as I sort of said earlier, but also um, a more involved decision-making process that usually involves different stakeholders in the organization as well. Um, And so I think, you know, some of the things Joe touched on earlier in terms of things like co-hosting webinars, podcast series is a fantastic information that can be a little bit more longer form content and that can engage different decision makers at different parts of that process. So, 
you know, you might co-host a webinar with a company that is, you know, has a has an aligned customer vertical to you, and perhaps that's more broad and it's it's um, designed to reach potentially, you know, all of your engineering team as a general awareness piece. And then you might create more and more granular content that comes down the funnel, like a much more uh, involved white paper, for example, that is really speaking to that CIO. So I think that the similarities are the same in that obviously we're looking for things like how do we build trust? How do we build credibility? How do we reach new audiences? How do we move them through the funnel? But then I think the differences are that you're going to need to convey much more information in, in a still engaging and digestible way than you maybe need to in a B2C campaign. I loved what you said about the sales cycle and how that works at like a larger business or organization, right? It is longer. It does involve several decision makers, right? And so you can target different parts of those companies, right? When I think of how we bring in products that we use at Hash Gifted, all of it starts as there's an engineer that needs something that the CTO has never heard of before. So it's not just about targeting that CTO, the CEO role, or even anybody in the executive suite. Sometimes it starts from sending out ads or pieces of content that are relevant to you know, the individual contributors at the lowest levels of the organization, because a lot of times these products get passed upwards to the decision makers and it doesn't come from top down. Yeah, absolutely. I think of the number of times where I've been retargeted with a new software or a new tool because my algorithm is different to Joe's, which is different to someone else's in our organizations. Sometimes I'll see a piece of content on LinkedIn or um, Instagram or TikTok and I'll come back to the engineering team and say, hey, like, have you seen this tool before? Could this be useful to us or to the sales team and say, hey, you know, there's this great new outreach tool or, um, you know, content deliverable tool. Have you guys seen this before? And so I think, yeah, being able to touch those different points of the organization and not being so, I, I think, perhaps laser focused on just the decision maker being the only person in the organization that you need to speak to that frequently it can come from um, a demand within the organization that floats these, you know, products or services up to the decision maker. I love that. I love that. And, you know, I, I also do that to my team and they, I feel like sometimes they really don't like when I do it. It's just like, here we go. What new thing has Shaheen come across that now we have to look at and see if it, if it makes sense to incorporate and learn and all that stuff. But I totally agree with you. One of the things that I wanted to kind of talk about is a lot of influencer marketing in the B2B space I've noticed, and, and you've touched on that a little bit on the awareness, is that it is focused on, it is not focused as much at the very bottom of the funnel, where we see that in direct-to-consumer, where it's like, hey, I bought this couch, and you know, click on the link and go make the purchase, or I bought this uh, other thing and check check this out on, on Instagram. And there's a lot of transaction that happens. And therefore, the measurement for the ROI from a kind of B2C or direct-to-consumer influencer might be different than, than measuring the success of a B2B influencer. What are your thoughts in terms of the measurement component? And I think this is always the million dollar question with any kind of influencer marketing campaigns as well, right? Whether it's B2C or B2B, but it's certainly harder to track in B2B. Again, I think it comes down to what the sales cycle looks like and the cost of the product um, and how involved 
that decision needs to be and how many stakeholders. I'm sure if you're talking about a higher value piece of software or, or a product that, you know, has got a longer sales cycle, then potentially how you're measuring success is, you know, the new number of leads generated for the sales team to go out and then have a, you know, one-on-one with like a physical face-to-face meeting, for example. You know, Hash Gifted itself is a, is a B2B business, right? Like we are, um, whilst we have cr- content creators, are one part of our business, but predominantly who we sell to are, are brands who are looking for a, a tool like Hash Gifted to manage their contra gifting campaigns and um, their UGC creation. So when we're doing an influencer collaboration and having our influencers talk about our product or having other businesses create case studies and pieces of content like that, we're looking for direct new signups because it's a, a relatively low cost platform. We don't expect those people to need an onboarding sales call, but they certainly, we know that they will certainly need other touch points. You know, they'll come to the website, they're going to read a number of pages on the website, probably look at pricing, and then we're going to retarget them with some online ads and look at reducing that acquisition cost over time. So I think it really depends on the cost of the of the product or service. Um, I'm sure zero is probably you know, and Monday.com and platforms like that are really looking for quite a direct attribution from influencer, create some piece of content, whether it's a blog or a post or whatever it might be, and it really drives direct signups. And then, you know, larger products or platforms are probably looking for, you know, number of new inquiries or white paper downloads or newsletter signups or event attendance, you know, things like that, that are probably, you know, much more, um, I guess, top of funnel for their sales team to then go and qualify and um, and turn into leads. Got it. What do you think are some of the mistakes that people make? And I feel like we've maybe indirectly touched on some of the things, but what do you think some of the mistakes that you see quite regularly marketers make when they're approaching or thinking about rolling out an influencer marketing program in B2B? Joe, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, especially because you get to see it from both sides yeah. as someone who is a B2B decision maker in our organization in terms of the products and services that we sign up to, but also as a as a marketer or ex-marketer yourself and a content creator. I would love to hear what you think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I could definitely speak about this from kind of a content creating perspective. The first thing that sticks out to me is just having a lack of alignment. I think some of that comes from shooting across the board to try to, you know, you send 50 messages to 50 different creators or influencers and see if any of them buy it and are interested. But I can't tell you how many times as more of a gaming personality, I get uh, things about, you know, women's makeup. Will you advertise this on your YouTube channel? Things of that nature. So having a good alignment on influencers that share your values and audience and obviously expertise is definitely essential. But then I think beyond that, it's having too short term of a focus. Changing your customer acquisition cost is not something that's going to happen overnight after posting some piece of user-generated content, right? It kind of needs to be more about the long-term lead generation and developing that relationship with an influencer. It's just the same way as if we listen to ads from more, more and more often, right? We'll it'll become more imbued in our mind the next time we're thinking of a solution that we can use. We typically watch the same content creators over and over as well. I go through, you know, a couple, the same YouTube channels every week, and it's usually always the same types of ads. And those are the products that I'll consider over something I've heard about once. And then I think the other thing is just about overscripted content. 
and like the micromanaging of influencers, which can kind of like hinder the authenticity that you might be trying to convey. I think that uh, creators have their own voice. And if you can kind of take advantage of that because they know how to speak to their audience already, giving them more creative freedom is probably one of the best ways to have them actually connect with the audience that you're trying to connect to. I totally agree with that. And I think from a brand perspective, the having to go out and source and find new creators over and over again, especially in the B2B space, can be really challenging. And I think, um, as Joe touched on, building those long-term relationships where it can be really mutually beneficial, where you find a B2B influencer and you say, instead of just engaging them to do you know, one webinar and one LinkedIn post, for example, um, you actually sit down and map out, okay, what, what does your company roadmap look like for the next 12 months or 24 months? How could we mutually um, add value to each other's audiences? What could we talk about? How can we build a, a marketing plan on both sides that is going to really add value? Um, that this creator or influencer can speak to with authority. And as Joe was sort of saying, they they know their audience so well. So I think when you work really collaboratively with them, you'll often find an influencer can say, hey, actually, like, I know a lot of my, inf- my audience have been asking about top tips for hiring or, you know, how to use AI in their businesses or whatever it might be. How can we work collaboratively on some content that's going to answer those questions um, and incorporate your business? So I think longer building more meaningful longer term relationships instead of that ad hoc you know spray and pray approach i think is is really meaningful for b2b brands yeah and don't neglect uh user generated content either you know it's not so much just about having uh, an influencer post something on their own platforms if they can create something that you can then use and add paid advert revenue to i think number one you can negotiate that with the influencer because it's going to create increased engagement for them. That's something that can be mutually beneficial. But also, there are so many opportunities where, like, I I don't know about you, but on TikTok, for instance, I see so many ads that just look like they're coming from small creators. But then you look at the handle and it's coming from like Hyatt or something of that nature, right? So taking advantage of all those sorts of things can really increase your reach and maybe make influencers and creators that were hesitant to work with you more willing. I want to come back and touch on user-generated content for sure. But one of the things that I love to get your thoughts on is in-house influencers versus external influencers and what your thoughts are on that. And by that, I mean, you know, recently I came across someone called Patrick Kelly where Zoom has hired and Patrick Kelly is this software engineer with a white, massive white beard. He is, he, he's a, he works out, but he also is very knowledgeable about the enterprise landscape when it comes to unified communication, super niche space. And he does a lot of work. He kind of is an internal influencer, but he creates content on YouTube and talks about, hey, if you're an enterprise organization, thinking about Teams and thinking about Zoom, how you should kind of think about this, or are you thinking about unified communication, what what your thoughts should be. What what is your thinking when it comes to in-house influencers versus external influencers? Yeah, I think there's always a place for using internal employees as advocates. Ideally, 
They know your organization really well. They know your brand values. And even if they're not maybe particularly in the specific niche that you're um, you know, looking to acquire customers in, they can be used for so many other things, right? Like recruitment and hiring, showcasing the values of your organization, you know, and empowering your employees with the content and information to be able to do that at scale, I think is really powerful. I do think it is hard to build trust with potential customers if it's just you talking about how great your brand is. Um, So I think in that example, I think it's fantastic that they have someone who is now internal, who is well-respected in the industry and can be like an evangelist for their brand. I think to really um, amplify that, having that person partner with other external um, B2B influencers in the space could be really powerful. So, you know, perhaps it's hosting a, a podcast or a webinar series where he then partners with people who are maybe going through that change um, process, thinking about shifting to their tool and what does that look like and why do they make decision that decision and what do the pain points look like or interviewing people in aligned content verticals. Um, because, of course, if it's just an internal employee at your organisation saying, you know, use our product, it's fantastic, it's the best product out there, Obviously, a lot of people are not going to trust that because, of course, you've got a vested interest in in them using your tool. So I definitely think there's a place for using internal advocates and, um, you know, uh, content creators or influencers, um, and they should definitely be a part of any good B2B influencer strategy. But definitely, I think, you know, to, to really build that trust and credibility, it's about reaching audiences that are not necessarily just purely having a vested interest in in the use of that one specific product. Okay, that's uh, that's fantastic, and I think that kind of dovetails really nicely with the next point that I want to talk about: user generated content. Okay, where does that come in? Obviously, that is a little bit different than influencer marketing. And Joe, I know you touched on that, but when it comes to B two B, what are your thoughts on that front? Where where does that come in? Where where does UGC come in? Yeah, sure, sure. I I think when it comes to UGC, it's all about pulling things from your own customer base, if you can. And if you let them advertise through business at the same time, you're kind of like working in lockstep. The best way that I've kind of seen this happen is when you try to demo a specific product and get kind of a showcase from one of your other clients. And I've seen video type things where one company will reach out to another company that they're working with and agree to appear on a video for kind of an interview about how they use that product. And it gives both organizations the opportunity to op- to advertise uh, the services that they do. So bring your customers in as uh, potential for what you can create for UGC. Beyond that, I think it's just about, you know, putting out all the testimonials and all the positive feedback that you're probably already getting. Okay. Okay. Are there are there strategies that you see organizations are using that it is very effective in terms of generating UGC? Are there organizations that come to mind and you're like, these guys are killing it with the way that they're they're implementing and, and capturing UGC? Yeah, look, I think Canva does a fantastic job of it. Um, they do an amazing job of showcasing everything from SMEs right through to larger businesses that use Canva and the different use cases and how they use them and amazing content that they've made using Canva. I think even around Australia, you'll see like really big billboards featuring, you know, business partners of Canva, which I think is really cool. 
Qantas does the same with their B2B customers. You know, you'll, you've probably seen, again, some of their above-the-line ads showcasing, you know, people who fly regularly with Qantas, why they fly, how, how Qantas business travel has made their lives easier. And, and for those organizations, it's an amazing, as Joe was touching on, it's an amazing opportunity to get huge exposure for their brands at scale. So I think, I think exactly as Joe touched on, it's about trying to find those um, opportunities for it to be mutually beneficial for the person you're asking to advocate on behalf of your company and, and give a testimonial or appear in an ad campaign or video content. Um, I think far, above and beyond, we have seen so many video content pieces um, being sort of the best use case. Um, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. It, it is that sort of long form storytelling and people being able to speak to not just the perfect shiny, you know, I use this product, it was fantastic, you know, 10 out of 10 would recommend, but being able to talk to some of the longer form things like, look, you know, it probably took us a little bit longer to set up than we would have liked. Um, and, you know, we dropped the ball a little bit on this side, but, you know, we've since we've got it integrated, we've found it's, you know, increased our efficiency as a team 10 times and, and being able to give that really true testimonial and advocacy for the product which I think is so much more believable for people who are uh, listening to it or reading that. And I think anything that you can do to capture stats and data, people love seeing, you know, it increased our you know, efficiencies by X percent or we reduced churn by X percent. Any of those sort of really key takeaways that people can take back to their team or take back to their boss or the person making that purchasing decision and say, I really need to use this product or software or service because here's the things that I can do with it. And these five companies are using it. Here's some big names that I can speak to. And here's some of the results that they've seen. Those are the sort of key things that you want to try and think about incorporating in UGC. That's amazing. That's amazing. And those examples are definitely both, uh, both uh, Canva and, and Qantas. Great, great examples. Let's talk channels. Let's talk channels when it comes to B2B, especially around influencer marketing. Obviously, LinkedIn is massive in the B2B space. But, um, you know, Taryn, you, you were talking about how one should not be fixated, especially in the B2B space, should not be fixated on, on just LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from your side in terms of what are some of the channels that you're exploring. There's obviously the, the kind of first party channels or, or own channels, which is, you know, your email, your website and all that stuff, which is, which is fine. But I'd really love to hear your thoughts on the third-party channels where we're talking about LinkedIn, but also what are some of the other channels that you're, again, as I said, you're experimenting with, you've seen success, or you've seen other organizations execute on really well, B2B organizations, especially when it, when it comes to influencer marketing. Yeah, absolutely. I think... LinkedIn is the one that everyone goes, yes, I can get really granular and find my exact target audience there. And tick, yes, that is that is absolutely the case. I think as Joe sort of touched on a little bit earlier, thinking about the ways that you can repurpose content or not just have content die in one place, I think is really, really important. So if you are going to the lengths of finding a great B2B influencer who has you know a high reach or high authority on LinkedIn, well, how else can you use that content that you're going to work with on that person how can you use it on different platforms? So for example, I'm working on a campaign at the moment with Seek, which is a um, hiring platform. And that campaign is being executed on LinkedIn, Instagram in-feed posts and in Instagram stories, um, because we can talk to different touch points and different types of customers and use different types of content across each of those um, different content types. 
And then they can use that content in their own newsletter marketing. And then they're using it for paid amplification and ads as well. So given you've found the right person, ideally, and you've engaged them to make some really meaningful content, thinking about the different types of platforms that that might be relevant. So is it threads, you know, a platform where it's really easy? Obviously, Instagram is much harder to click straight through to a link. So is it threads, you know, where you can click straight through to a link or Twitter slash X, whatever we're calling it now, like, is that a a really good place where you've already created this great thought leadership piece, for example, or interview or white paper with this person? How else can that be distributed? Or if it's a video piece of content, can it then be cut down and used across Instagram reels or stories um, or TikTok, for example? Can it be transcribed? And then can snippets of that be used um, as sort of really quick call outs on Twitter or um, threads. So I think just thinking more meaningfully about using the same piece of content in different ways. Um, So it's sort of perhaps a little bit of a bigger upfront investment from thinking about how to use the content and maybe spending that time, as Joe said, in working with the creator on how can we use this content in a way that's going to also benefit them. um, So it's more cost effective for you as a brand. So you can say, look, we're going to promote this um, to our newsletter database of, you know, X hundred thousand people, which is going to get you this exposure. Can we do that at no cost or a lower cost than potentially what they would initially be thinking of charging if it was just being used for ad sets, for example? So I think thinking about that content plan up front and how to do one shoot or one piece of content or one webinar um, and then cut it down into different pieces um, and cover all of those channels at once. Taryn, one channel that I think is totally kind of unexplored and underrated that you make great use of at Gifted is like industry forums and like communities where like professionals are gathering together together and, you know, maybe you were part of some keynote speech or on a panel or something. Uh, It would be great to hear about how you use that as a channel to market to other businesses. Yeah, oh, that's a really interesting point. And I hadn't thought about it until um, you mentioned it just then and, and tying back to what you were saying earlier about the strategy really came from thinking about the, the platforms or places that I go to to get information that I need for us as a business and as a business person myself when I'm seeking out information. And from there, I thought, well, if these platforms or groups or um, events are useful to me, then hopefully they're useful to other people like me who might need a service like Hash Gifted in their business. So I sort of mapped out the landscape a little bit and I wanted to make sure there wasn't too much overlap and and looked at the different types of events that were coming up on the calendar that would be relevant for us and you know, got in touch with them about speaking at their events, partnering with them on their events and how we could provide information to their customer base, whether that's, you know, discount codes or free trials or, um, you know, informative videos on how they could be, you know, creating user-generated content through Hash Gifted. And then into some of these more engaged Facebook communities, for example, where they're always looking for great, fresh content to be able to help add value to their member bases. Um, And just, again, reaching out to them really proactively and saying, hey, like, I think that we can help solve a problem for your organization. How can we work on some, for your members, how can we work on some content together that could be mutually beneficial? So I think, yeah, thinking um, about the, the, I guess, watering holes where you already go to to get content yourself as a business person and how could you interweave that with the story of your brand to drive those meaningful conversations. 
I think on looking at watering holes that you're already looking at, one other channel is email marketing, not your own company newsletter, but uh, like we said at the beginning, uh, taking a look at the newsletters that you're currently reading. If you were able to get an ad in the Hustles uh, daily newsletter that they do, imagine what that would do for uh, you know converting into new leads, especially if you were able to develop some sort of partnership with them where you can be a part of that newsletter for a week. So I think sharing influencer content even via email can target specific segments of your audience too. Yeah, I think uh, the email sequence, email scene is is exploding, and uh, and a lot of people talk about how email is dead, but uh, but then you see the rise of these subscription emails and email newsletters that that there is there's room for for sponsors. I mean, I, I'm totally with you on that front, Joe. Where um, again, it's a combination of uh, leveraging these channels, but also influencer marketing because you're kind of piggybacking on the on the back of these um, these content creators and, and the audience that they've created. One probably last question that I want to touch on here is, Taryn, you touched on threads. And I'd love to get your thoughts on, on that as, you know, is there is that a viable channel? Is that is it too early still to kind of consider it? There, I know there are kind of there are different thoughts on that where some some people say, hey, they didn't get it right. Some say, no, their distribution channel is going to make it work. What are your thoughts of threads today? And do you see that as a viable channel or is it still too early? Um, it's early days. It's so funny. I think the night that it was released, it was night in Australia. I had so many clients get in touch with us going, oh my gosh, do I need a, do I need a thread strategy now? What should my thread strategy be? What, what, what's it going to look like? Can you give me some inside info? And I was like, hot tip. We all just got access. Like there isn't, there isn't a playbook yet. No one knows how this platform is <laughs> going to unfold. I got access the same time you did, you know, there's no, um, there's no secret formula here yet. Um, and we don't know how people are going to adapt to it and use it. And there was a huge spike up front. Um, and I think, you know, they did some amazing gamification to make that early adoption, you know, really happen. So you know, props to them for, for delivering that. I think there's a huge early spike and a lot of early interest. And then I think that certainly died off. And, you know, since, I don't know, since the first two weeks of, of threads, I haven't had a client get in touch asking at all whether or not they should incorporate that into their marketing mix as yet. Um, I think in a lot of people's minds, Twitter just really never seemed to get off the ground in Australia um, and wasn't really incorporated into many brands, marketing channels and marketing mix. Um, and so I don't know whether it's the association between that or that marketers are just so overwhelmed with all of the other channels that they have to fill that they're like, oh, park it in a bucket, see how it evolves over time, see if it becomes meaningful and then come back and address it later. Um, when they've got a little bit more headspace to think. Got it. Got it. Okay. No, that's, that's, uh, thank you very much for that. Now, before I, I got some rapid fire questions that I want to ask as well, but before we dive into that, is there anything else that you think we should touch on when it comes to B2B and influencer marketing that maybe I didn't ask or we didn't have a chance to uh, bring up? I was just thinking off the back of what both you and Joe were saying before in that uh, about email marketing. I think one thing we all suffer from as marketers is a lack of content, right? And I think, you know, we're constantly struggling to find new, great, interesting, meaningful, engaging content to share with our audiences. And this, you know, doesn't really necessarily just mean email, 
But if you can proactively as a marketer go out to aligned brands or um, newsletters you might want to be featured in with with pre-set pieces of content saying, we would love to share this content with you. We think it would really align with your audience. You know, would you be interested in hosting it on your blog or including it in your newsletter? Nine times out of 10, you're going to get a yes. If it's high quality content that really solves a problem that isn't too salesy, um, you know, we certainly get sent them and I'm like, yes, fantastic. Thank you so much. You know, a well-informed, well-written piece of content that includes a backlink to their company's site that is of um, value to my customer base. Absolutely. Of course, we would love to include it. So I think just keeping that in mind as a marketer that we all face the same problems and how can you use that as an opportunity for your brand to get in front of the right people? You have started to roll out your ABM strategy, but you're starting to hit some roadblocks. You're finding everything extremely time-consuming and complicated. The technology landscape is baffling. Deployment support in your organization is non-existent. And to top things off, the sales team has no interest in participating. You know ABM can work for your business, but you're in desperate need of a push in the right direction. Chat to the APAC ABM experts at Xgrowth for a free consultation to help get you on the right track. For more information, check out xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au. And get back on track today. Let's do some rapid fire questions. First question I have, and I'd love to get this answer from both of you, is what is one resource? This could be book, blog, podcast, talk, whatever it is that has had a profound impact on the way you work and live. Joe, you want to go first? Sure. I have two to uh, mention that kind of work in tangent together. The first one is a book called Leading Change at Work by Adam Browse, who's a product manager and a professor in San Francisco. And it really gave me the idea of how do we make like corporate decisions and how can I take myself out of the equation from like an emotional standpoint. And it works really well with blue fishing, uh, which is the art of making things happen by Steve Sims teaches you how to catch that blue fish. And I think when you take the two together, it really empowers you to create effective change, not just at work, but in you know your own personal relationships and life. And then just as one last kind of uh, shout out, my uh, newsletter of choice today is the Trends newsletter. I learned about pickleball probably seven months before everybody started uh, <laughs> picking up pickleball rackets and that sort of thing, but uh, kind of a really great resource to know what's going on from a macro level in the corporate world. Thanks for that, Joe. Thank you. Well, Taryn, what about you? I have written down both of Joe's books because I definitely need to read them. Um, I'm also addicted to the trends news that I think it's fantastic and just like so many interesting snippets from so many different industry segments and verticals. So um, highly recommend that. For me, from a marketing perspective, I love the Prof G show by Scott Galloway, the podcast. I listen to it three times a week. I just love his perspective on things and that he's not afraid to have an opinion. And there's, I always feel like I come away from listening to those with some sort of nugget of insight or understanding or new way to view of problems. So I love that. I love someone who's a bit of a, a blue flame challenging thinker. Yeah, you can't beat Prof G. You can't beat uh, the dog. But uh, no, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for that. Second question is, if you could give one advice to B2B marketers, what would it be? Taryn, you go first. 
Be collaborative, don't be dictatorial. So work with the creator or the B2B influencer, collaborate with them, find something that's mutually beneficial. Don't be prescriptive, don't be dictatorial. Let them use their own tone of voice and language and it's going to be way more successful. Yep, and I would say uh, prioritize building genuine long-term relationships with influencers over the short-term gains that you could get. Amen. Amazing, amazing. Third question, who are some of the influencers you follow? Joe, you want to go first? Sure. I think a big one in kind of the B2B marketing world is Neil Patel. But on kind of a more creative copywriting day-to-day side of things, I really like Anne Handley, who kind of teaches you how to like write ridiculously good marketing material. And her newsletter is just funny. One of those great kind of <laughs> high-spirited shenanigans type thing. It's called Anarchy with two N's, like her first name, Anne. Uh, but she's a great uh, resource, Anne Handley. Handley is great. Taryn, what do you got? I'm definitely signing up for that. That sounds exactly like something I need. I'm personally a massive fan of Kara Swisher and totally fangirled all over her at South by Southwest, um, which Joe and I went to this year. I just think that she's, again, like... She captures that sort of big tech scene and the startup scene um, so well. I love her podcast. Um, I love her newsletters. I love her sort of long-form writing pieces as well. Um, So she's definitely an influencer that I follow in the space. Last question that I have is what is something that excites you about B2B? And and Joe, let's, uh, let's finish this. Let's go with you first for this last question. I'd say kind of the increasing emphasis on like personalized strategies. It's kind of the reason why people are trying to, or, or corporations and organizations are trying to work with influencers beyond like, you know, putting out a billboard ad or something. And then I would be remiss if I didn't mention the integration that AI and automation could have. Uh, there's like great potential there for driving B2B growth and innovation. Gary, from your side? I couldn't agree more in that the thing I'm most excited about is that brands are being forced to try new things. They can't just rely on, you know, big, boring, traditional TV ads or billboards. They have to try new um, things. And I, I think that's really exciting because I think we are seeing brands try and do really cool things on Reddit forums or, you know, making really great, meaningful collaborations with B2B influencers. And I think whilst, yes, it's scary and I'm sure like for the marketers internally at these brands, you know, dipping their toes in the water to working with, you know, AI for the first time or influencers for the first time or whatever it might be that is, you know, sort of outside of their usual scope of how they would market as a B2B marketer. I think it's super exciting because it's making much better content and yet as Joe sort of said that ability for it to be more personalized and more meaningful to the person receiving it I think is super exciting. Joe and Taryn this has been an awesome conversation I took a lot of notes I'm going to be uh I I was just checking Trends uh newsletter as well I'm going to be jumping on that um some great great books as well just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for your time. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. This has been totally fun. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing by Liza Maywald and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda. 
Director of Growth at Extra. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.